sweetie. Uh, my name is Brandon Scarver. I'm the, uh, as of, oh, four days ago, five days ago, I'm the uh, new associate pastor over at Stonebridge Church on the Square in Marietta. Uh, Steve called last Saturday, I guess it was. That's his advanced planning, I'm sure. But he called last Saturday saying, I'm going to be out of town and uh, going to Costa Rica. It's not like he's going to Florida. I'm going to Costa Rica. And uh, would you mind coming over and, uh, and, and sharing a little bit? So it is an absolute pleasure to be with this this community. I'm excited to be here with you. A little bit of my background and story. For, for 18 years of my life, up until last Monday, uh, I've been in education. I've been in ministry in different forms in education, but I was a, a, a teacher at a public school, a coach. I coached football and soccer. Um, I'm not saying I was good at it. I did it, and, and people don't totally hate me. And, and so from there, I went into uh, private school administration over in uh, Sandy Springs in Atlanta. And they do, they do hate me when you're an administrator, especially if you do discipline. That's not good for anybody. Um, but starting last fall, uh, David Eldridge and I, the senior pastor over at Stonebridge, we started dating, flirting. Um, they've been looking for an associate pastor for a long time. And um, we're having a hard time finding exactly the right fit for them or the person they said that you're the guy or the gal. And so um, we started dating back in September. We, we solidified our relationship about a month and a half ago. We are now married, and so I am fully on staff at Stonebridge. And what I love is this. I'm not sure if it's a good sign or a bad sign, but my first official Sunday on staff, he farms me out to go somewhere else. So I'm not sure if that's going to go, if that's a good sign or bad. But I'm excited to be here. I love this. I love the fact that you have an entire space in your church. By the way, we are space envious of Vintage 242. We, uh, we're on the square in Marietta, and it's like a closet, which is nice. It's a nice closet, old. It's truly vintage. But we are space envious of your community room over here, of your nursery and child care back here. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic. But I love this, that you're committed to more than just having a great space. You're committed to loving each other well, to serving each other well. You're committed to actually living and being in community with each other. Acts 2.42, you are committed to living in community with each other. So excited to be here. I want to make a confession to you on the front side of it. Um, modern technology, which I am, I am not. I'm, I'm an Atari kid trying to live in a, in a whatever the new video gaming system is. If you go to Pong, I'm a master. I can take that little blip and, and, and do that. Beyond that, awful. But I did face stalk you. I went online. I, I looked at the website, and then I Facebook stalked you. I feel like we're, com- we're connected now. I, I looked at your pictures online. And then I looked at the, the sermon launcher also which is a handy little tool. I looked at the sermon launcher and noticed that uh, Steve spoke for, what, 55 minutes last week? I was like, dude. <laughs> so I started hydrating. I've been stretching out all week, carved up last night, and I'm going for 53. I'll show him. I don't have 53 minutes in me. But I'm excited to be here. And I, and I think this, you've been talking about breakthrough. And what I want to look at today a little bit is this. I want to talk about these two walls, these two walls that we have, one coming from the book of Nehemiah, the other one coming from, from the book of Joshua. One of these walls was impregnable. It was impenetrable. People couldn't break through. It was completely shut up and tight, and there was no access to get into it. 
And, and so the Israelites are moving in and the Lord speaks to him and says, I've given this to you right now before you even get started. Don't sweat it. Don't worry about it. No big deal. I'm giving this over to you. All I ask of you is this, that you be strong and courageous. It says it again and again and again. Be strong and courageous and bold and be humble and obedient before me. That's all I'm asking you for. If you want to break through, if you want to break through this impregnable wall, this, this limit, this ceiling like you, that you feel has been placed on you, all I'm asking is this. Humble yourself before me, be obedient to what I ask you to do, and I'm already going to give it over to you. And so that's one wall. The other side of the wall in Nehemiah is this wall that's absolutely destroyed and torn down. It's broken down. The people have, have been in captivity for 70 years, and they've come back, and they've rebuilt the temple but the wall that protects and defends the city is still down. After 13 years, after they've, they've rebuilt this temple, the walls are still down, and the enemy still has complete access to run through the city as they want. And so we want to talk about these two walls, one wall that's impenetrable, impregnable, one wall that people say there's no way you can break through that, and the other wall that's completely down and destroyed that people say, eh, not right now. We're not ready to rebuild that just yet. We're not ready to get to that. We spent all kinds of time and money and energy building the temple. We're, we're not quite ready for that. And so as we get into it, I'm going to start off looking at John just for one second. John 10, starting in verse 7, going down through verse 10, says this. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the true gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come and go out and find pasture. And then in verse 10, it says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I I promise you this. That is foundational baseline truth. That, that he says to you, I have come so that you may have life and have it to the fullness, to have it abundantly, to have it richly. And I think one of the problems that we have with not really getting the breakthrough that we want in our lives is we don't truly rest and fall and completely place our weight on that idea. You think that you don't know where I've been, you don't know my past, you don't know how bad it stinks, you don't know the things I've gotten into, you don't know what my family dynamic and situation is, you don't know how I've treated other people in my business, in my business relationships. How can you say that I, me, this guy who is the center of all sinners, how can you say that you've come that I can have this life abundantly? I think some of us have this expectation of we're going to endure it, we're going to get through it, we're going to do as, as well as we can and check off the boxes that we can check. And at the end of the day, that should be enough. But, but abundant living, rich living, deep living, that, that's for these other guys that lock themselves in a closet and wear this funky brown robe and probably don't bathe and shower and put on deodorant. And they lock themselves up in the mountains and caves. Th- those monks, those guys, those people who commit 100%, those are the ones that have that life abundant. And he says simply this to you, it's not for a select few, it's for you. I have it for you. I want you to have it. The question is, do you expect to have it? I don't know a lot, and I'm not, I'm not the smartest guy in town, but it's in red letters. You might have the red lettered edition in yours, huh, where it's like when Jesus speaks, you get the red. It's kind of like that. It's Bible for, for not so smart people like me. The red means it's important. It means you need to fall on it. It means you need to believe it and trust it. And if it says in red letters because Jesus is speaking, I've come so that you can have life and have it abundantly, I'm falling on that. 
I'm going to rest on that part of it. And so now let's get to the, let's get to the wall part of it. Let's start with Nehemiah. If you're going to flip over, it's in Nehemiah uh, 2. And we're going to read roughly 11 down through 20 or so. Let, let me set up Nehemiah. Nehemiah, Assyrians came in, captured most parts of Judah, and took the, 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 the Israelites in that area off into captivity. Babylonians defeated the Assyrians. I love it. It's all these different groups that beat up on each other, and they come in, and the Israelites get caught in the mix, and they get, get battered and taken off. So the Babylonians defeat the Assyrians. They come in. They, they take over Jerusalem, actually. They conquer the city. They destroy the walls. They destroy the city. And then they take all of the Israelites, with the exception of a small remnant, they take them off into captivity under this, the, the leadership of this king, Nebuchadnezzar. They were in captivity away from Jerusalem, away from their promised land, away from their home. They were in captivity for roughly 70 years. After about 70 years, there were three return trips where the Israelites started to go back to, go back to Jerusalem, right? And during that time, the Persians had actually come in, come in and defeated the Babylonians and started to allow the Israelites to go back to their homeland. So that's the context for it. Nehemiah was the cupbearer. He had this place of privilege and esteem within the king's court. He was the king's cupbearer, so he had status. He had access to the king. And, and Nehemiah is there, and, and his brother comes back after being in Jerusalem, and he asks his brother, he says, how are things going? What do things look like? And in Nehemiah 1, verse 3, it says this. They said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. Don't, don't move quickly past the word disgrace. It says they're in great trouble. We get that. They, they've been in captivity. They're returning. They're going back home. The walls are down. The temple. I mean, it's, it's a rough situation. We get that they're in trouble, but it says that they're in disgrace. Here's the reality of it. They got back and built the temple. They didn't rebuild the walls. And what they made this conscious decision of is this. We're going to intermingle with the enemy. We're going to allow the enemy, by leaving the walls down, we're going to allow the enemy to continue to have access into my life, even though we're trying to worship and go to the temple and look the right way. So even though we have the look going, we're we're, we're still allowing ourselves to date and intermingle with the enemy. They're even marrying the enemy. They're even bringing them in and exchanging with them to let them have places of privilege and access within the city itself. So it says that they're in disgrace and they're not even attempting or trying to rebuild the walls. And so the question becomes this, what's the bigger issue? Is the biggest issue that the walls are destroyed and down or is the biggest issue their attitude about not getting it put back up? They're just kind of embracing the idea that this is what it is. No way, shape, or form do they believe John 10.10. They don't believe the idea that the enemy who they're intermingling with is killing and destroying them, nor do they believe that they deserve life abundantly. What they're saying is, this is as good as it gets. And we're just going to allow them to keep having access. Breakthrough, forget breakthrough, they're in complete breakdown. And they're just getting rocked. They're just getting absolutely rocked. Because they won't commit to doing it. So in in chapter 2, starting in verse 11, it says this. Nehemiah says, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I hadn't told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one that I was riding. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate. It's always a lovely name for a gate. They went to the dung gate. Examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire, 
Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So there's a dual problem here. There's a double-edged problem here. The problem's not just that the enemy has wide open access to come and go as they please. The other problem is this. Because of all the debris, because of all the carnage and the junk and the, and the stone and whatever else was there, because of all that being piled up around, they couldn't move like they were supposed to. They didn't have freedom to move all the different places they were supposed to go and could go and had possibility to go. They were simply limited by this pile of junk that's there. I think this in our lives. I, I think that we come to a point where we have this profound experience where we say in our heart, in our head, and even with our lives to a certain point, we say, I believe without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ died on a cross for my sins and that he is the way, the truth, and the life. I believe that. But we never deal with the carnage and the baggage and the debris from the broken down place. And so we can't move into this life abundantly because there's still that broken debris from where we allowed the enemy to have access to our lives all those years. So it's that dual problem of enemy access and all this debris that's not being dealt with. And so he says this. But there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So, so I went up to the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and recentered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who were doing the work. And then I said to them, you see the trouble that we're in. And, and let's stop there for a second. I think, that's another, I think that's another problem. I think we fall into one of these five categories. For some of us, we're, we're not even aware that it's there. We're not even aware that we have a debris problem. We're not even aware that we have an access problem that we're allowing the enemy to come in and out. We're just kind of obliviously moving through. Th- How many of you watched the show again? Another confessional. I got married about five, no, not about five years ago. We just had our anniversary, and, and I failed miserably. Forgot a card. Every I'm the worst husband. You're saying you're the best husband in America. Where's, where's Tate? Tate's saying, remember, I'm the best husband. I'm the anti-Tate. My wife's not going to be saying great things about me at the Mexican restaurant over 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 tortillas. And, and so we, we've been married five years. When we got married. I was, I was a man. I mean, I, I'm a man. I watched sports, and, and I killed things, legitimately, legally, not that. Killed things, and I went out, and I did guy things, and I got dirty. And then I got married, and I found myself watching shows, programs, cooking shows. Love me some Master Chef, some Top Chef. Guys, who wants to admit it? Let's, let's have some freedom in this place right now. Who wants to admit that you watch girly shows because your wife says you're watching girly shows? Get him up. Hands. Okay, Graham, come on. Be stronger with that. By the way, I'm taking Graham with me wherever I go. I just want to hear him talk. I don't care if you sound like Shrek or not. It's, it's music. And so I'm watching these girly shows, and one of them that I fell into was this show called Hoarders. You may watch Hoarders. That's sad. I mean, it's, it's like sad. And they go to these people's houses, and it's like this goat trail going through their living room, piled high with these canyons of debris. And it's like the Snoopy slushy maker over here. Why? Huh? And it's like a 72 Buick Skylark over here. And the, why? Right? And then T-shirts. And some of them are just collectors. You know, they collect items. I'm a lighthouse collector. I love lighthouses. Okay, stop at five. You don't need 5,228 to really set the collection straight. 
But in hoarders, these people don't even recognize they have a problem. Most of them are just obliviously going through like, this is normal. This is what it's supposed to be. Follow me down the goat trail and I'll show you the other room with junk piled up in it. And I think for some of us, that's it. We're going through kind of oblivious to what's really happening and not noticing the fact that we have all this junk piled up in our lives, all this debris piled up in our lives, and we're just not even addressing it. The next, the next group I think we could fall into is we're just kind of apathetic about it. We kind of recognize it. We realize that there's an issue. We realize that I have this past stuff in my life. Maybe it's a bad relationship with your parents. Maybe it's a, a divorce that you've been through. Maybe it's something that happened to you at school. Some of, us, some of us have been burned by church. Let's be honest. Some of us have had a bad church experience where we just got flat out burned, and, and we're afraid to commit and jump in because it's not safe ground. So some of us recognize the fact that there's stuff there, there's debris there, that the enemy still has access because of the debris, but we're not really willing to make a commitment to do something about it. And again, it gets back to the question, what's the bigger problem? Is the bigger problem that there's debris and brokenness, or is the bigger problem that we're not willing to do something about it? That we're not willing to engage and allow the Lord to have access and say, I'm going to clean this junk up. I'm going to sift and clean this junk up and get it out of your way. I I think another group falls into the category of you recognize it, you want to do something about it, you've tried doing something about it, but you've just been discouraged. You feel defeated. And so now you're in that survival mode of, I'm just going to try to hold it together. I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to keep it together. I'm going to try to fake it till I make it. And hopefully I can keep it together until we walk out of church. Some of us are living event and place and venue to venue. It's, okay, I'm at the house. It's a safe place. I can fall apart and come undone. I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to try to fake it till I make it and look good and keep up the pretense because I've tried and I just can't get through it. And then I'm going to go back home and fall apart again. Then I'm going to go to work, and I'm going to try to keep it together. I mean, Brady Bunch fans, anybody else old like me, and you're like, Brady Bunch, love me some Brady Bunch. There's this one classic episode in the Brady, classic. I think they tried out this new video technology of replay. And the kids were playing with the basketball in the house, and Mom, Mommy Brady had that vase sitting in the middle of the kitchen table, and the basketball comes down the steps, and it's like, and you watch it, and it hits the vase, and it's like, they combined techniques, by the way. It was so cutting edge with the Bradys. It was slow motion with the ball, and then it was like the replay. Dun, 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 and they kept showing it over. And you're like, I get it. Base breaks. Understand that. And the kids, instead of just owning it and saying, we made a mistake, we broke the vase, we understand we're not supposed to play with the ball, my bad. Instead of owning it, the kids come up with this plan of, let's glue it back together. And so they get their super glue and their gorilla glue and they put the pieces back together, the shards, and it looks awful. There's no way it wasn't broken, but we've got it. And they're all sitting around dinner just hoping that the glue's going to hold. They're just hoping that it's going to keep the thing together. And they're around dinner and, and all of a sudden water starts to come out one side and water comes out the other side. And next thing you know, the whole thing comes undone. Truth of it is this. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You're going to, it's going to show. Water's going to leak through. That debris, the sin, it's going to leak through. And the reality of it is, deal with it now. Stop faking it till you make it. Stop trying to put up a front. Deal with it. It takes a whole lot more effort to fake it till you make it than it does to say, I'm going to deal with it and get real and move past it. And so I think some of us fall into that category. I think some of us fall into the category of, 
I am going strong after it. I am. I'm committed. I'm in. I'm living hard for it. But you're tired. And Nehemiah talks about the laborers. They're, they're going after it. They're in place. They're in position. They're working hard for it. And, and they get to a point where they say, we're just tired. <coughs> the enemy's relentless. The enemy's coming at us. We're just tired. I need some support. I need some encouragement. I need people, co-laborers, stationed around me. And so Nehemiah puts in place men. He said, great image. You've got the people who are working with one hand. They have a trowel in one hand. They're rebuilding the walls. With the other hand, they're holding a sword because the enemy's still coming. And they say, I'm not going to grow weary. I'm not going to grow faint. I'm going to keep fighting and battling because I've got my guys with me. If you're a church that's about community, and I have no doubt that you are. I've seen it in the brief time I've been here. I've seen it and know it. If you're a church that's about community, what that means is you're co-laborers. It means that you're standing in the breach, you're standing in the gap, you're standing behind each other as you do life. As you go through life. You're saying, I'm your guy or your gal no matter what. And so I think some of us just need that encouragement, that body. We need to draw them around us to say, I need you to walk through this with me. You need people that are praying for you, that are praying into you, that are speaking into you. You need people that are pointing out to you, you have debris, you have junk. You need people that are pointing out to you and saying, look, it doesn't have to be like this. You need John 10.10 friends is what you need. You need John 10.10 friends that say, the enemy right now is killing, stealing, and destroying you. But your Lord, your Savior, this Jesus says, you should have life abundantly. I I watch the, I live over in Marietta, just off the square, which by the way, it's beautiful country up here. Beautiful, you like country, we're in the city. Beautiful country. I live over off the square in Marietta. And, and, and every time about this year, I call them the fanny pack friends. All the people that are training for the, the three-day breast cancer walk, you know what I'm talking about? And they all have on their pink, and every one of them is wearing a fanny pack of some, some of them like take it to a new level. It's like they have a small cargo case around their waist, and it's water. It's like a bat utility belt for those that, that want to be. Some of us need fanny pack friends that are going to walk beside us when it gets tough, that have tools, that have things to help us out and support us to keep moving forward. And so some of us need that. And I think the last category that some of us fall into with these broken down walls is we fall into this category of recidivism. Criminology term, sociological term, all it simply means is this. What recidivism measures is the number of people who go to prison and then get out of prison and then go back. Committed a crime, been arrested, they go to jail, serve their time in jail, they get released, they gain their freedom, and then they go right back to doing it. I, I think this. I think the rate of prison, not think, I know the rate of prison recidivism is over 50%, which means more than 50% of the people who commit a crime, spend time in jail, end up doing another crime and going back to jail. The rate of spiritual recidivism is much higher. We're in this debris. We're locked up. We've had our freedom taken away because the enemy's just beating us up and attacking us and robbing us of this life abundant. And we have that moment, that time where we realize, I don't have to do this. It doesn't have to be like this. And we walk out of it. And then we walk back into it. And the reason is this. 
We've embraced the idea of the temple. We've embraced the idea that I can live in the presence of God. We've embraced the idea that I can worship and have that time and experience. We've embraced that part of it, but we haven't embraced the idea of we need to put these walls up behind us so we don't go back. We haven't embraced the idea that we need to put these boundaries up. There are some people we're going to have to cut out of our lives. I remember when I first really got it. I've been a Christian all my life. I think I really got it right after I got out of college. And once I really got it, they were lifelong friends. I'm talking about friends that I've had since I was four years old. They were lifelong friends that I had to walk away from, that I had to distance myself from. It's not because I was living this awful, ugly life, but I know this. If I keep hanging out with them, I can't live all that I'm supposed to live. So for some of us, we we need to walk out. We need to walk away and put up these boundaries and parameters. For some of us, it's environments. Some of us, it's your job, it's your work. You go to this, and, and, and that's touchy. That's tough right now with the economy the way it is. But some of us in our workplace, it beats us down. It beats us down. It beats us up. And we go there day after day, and we just keep taking body shots. And we just keep taking hits. For some of us, there needs to be a wall there. There needs to be a rebuilding there. And and so I think the hard part is, if I'm going to truly walk out of jail, if I'm truly going to walk away from all of these things that have been beating me up, all these things that I've allowed to have access into my life, lifestyle choices, positions, places, people, if I'm going to truly walk out of those things that I've allowed to beat me up because I've been given them unencumbered access and I'm going to have to put up walls. And I'm going to need fanny pack friends, John 10.10 friends, to stand in the gap with me and say, I'm not letting you go back. I'm not letting you fall back into that mode. And so the question becomes, where do I fall in that pantheon? Where do I fall in that list? Am I just totally unaware? Do I need people just to stand up flat out and say, here's your junk? Here's your debris. Here's the baggage that you're carrying. I need, I need, you, to, I need you to get in my face a little bit on that. Or are we just apathetic? Or are we just not recognizing the fact that there is great weight to this? A friend of mine, uh, he was speaking at a youth camp, and I heard him say this, and it just absolutely stuck with me. He said, we don't think very much of the cross because we don't think very much of sin. We don't think very much of the cross because we don't think very much of sin. And what that means is twofold. It means that, that, that we think sin in some level, in some form, is benign. That it's not going to kill us, that it's not going to bring us down, that it doesn't have the destructive power that it actually does. And so because we think that sin is somewhat benign, we don't truly grab a hold of the life-giving, life-transformational blood of the cross. And so some of us are in that apathetic mode, and we need to grab a hold of the power and redemption and the blessing of the cross. And some of us are in that, I'm defeated, I'm discouraged, and so I'm going to try to fake it till I make it. Some of us are in that, I'm going for it, I need fanny pack, John 10, 10 friends. Some of us are in this recidivism cycle of, why is it that I do what it is that I don't want to do? Why do I keep going? Proverbs, like a fool returns to his, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool that returns to its folly. Why do I keep going back and doing the same things that I know got me in jail in the first place? I need to put up walls and boundaries on the backside. 
And then when you go to Joshua, Joshua 6.1 says this. Now Jericho was tightly shut up. Quick little background on, on this. If you haven't read the first part of Joshua, go back and read that. But in chapter 1 it says, As Joshua had been with Moses, he'd walked with him. He was his right-hand guy, or one of them anyway. And he was there when Moses died. But in John 1.1, the Lord says to Moses this. He says, Joshua, Moses is dead. Joshua, Moses is dead. What he's saying is, is obvious. What he's saying is, come on, you should know that. But what he's really saying is, Joshua. That part of your life is over. Joshua, that time of your life is over. Joshua, the season that you were in this, it's over. Now, here's what I want you to do, do, Joshua. Be strong and courageous and obedient and move forward. (coughs) Joshua had with him roughly 40,000 or so uh, of these warriors, of these fighters. I mean, it was a fine force. It was a fine group. They were kind of a a mercenary package deal that they kind of latched on with the Israelites. But he had 40,000 or so armed fighting men with him. And when they cross over the Jordan, they encounter all these different groups. I collectively package them as the ites because they all end in ite. And you can look at them and read them, but the ites are there. And as they cross over the Jordan, it says time and time again, I've given you this land. It's yours. It's already laid out for you. Before you even step foot on it, I've already given it to you. It's your destiny. It's your calling. It's what you're moving into. Just be strong and courageous. And so he takes this group of 40,000 or so fighting armed men. Men. And he says this to them. Let's go back to the first part of Joshua. I want to read this to you. And we'll pick it up in six. But it says in verse one, Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Jericho was in shutdown mode because they were scared to death because they knew the Israelites were coming and they knew that God had given them the land. And so they were trying to batten down the hatches and hold on. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all your armed men. Do this for six days. Now, wait a second. I got, I got thousands, tens of thousands of fighting men. They're trained to kill. They're trained to attack. They're trained to take over. That's what they do. Tens of thousands of them. And what you want me to do is put on a parade. What you want me to do is put on a parade and, and, and keep silent. Don't even yell. The custom of the day when armies would go into battle was they'd stand across from each other and just scream and yell. Th- ah! Ah! Then watch it. I have, I have two little boys. Love them. They're fantastic. They're just like their mom. And we've been watching Dave and the Giant Pickle of Veggie Tales. Anybody experienced that little piece of celluloid magic? Huh? It's absolutely fantastic, that Dave and the Giant Pickle. Obviously, it's David and Goliath. And they have these little Philistines that are, they have a French accent. I don't know why. I don't know if they're trying to slam the French. But they're standing on one hill and they're saying, We send out our champion, and you send out your champion. And then, and then the Israelites on this side, they respond and they're like, I want fried chicken. And it's like they're yelling back and forth at each other. And my son thinks it's the greatest thing in America. He thinks it's the best thing ever. Like he'll come in and go, Send out your champion. I'm like, yes. 
But they would stand on other si- opposite sides, and they would just yell things at each other and insult each other. And apparently, that's what really got you going. And, and so what they're saying to these thousands and thousands of fighting men is, we don't want you to fight. We don't even want you to yell. We just want you to shut up and walk. And so they walk around. So you have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry out the trumpets of horn, ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up. Every man straight in. Then in verse 20 and 21, when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. And so every man charged straight in, and they took the city. We'll stop there for one second. What he's asking for is this. He's not asking for you to be, to be a great warrior. He's not asking for you to carry a spear. He's not asking for you to have a big sword so you can start hacking people up. He's not asking for you to go up and shinny up the walls and come over the top. What he's asking you to do is simply this. I want you to listen and know my voice. I want you to be obedient. I want you to humble yourselves. And I will give you the desires of your heart because the desires of your heart will match mine. And what he's saying is this. You've been beating your head against this wall trying to have breakthrough for X amount of years because you've been trying to do it on your own. And what he says is stop doing it on your own. Listen, obey, and I'll give you the desires of your heart. It says unencumbered, freely, they marched right in. He's been telling them all along, I've given this to you. This is your destiny. This is what I desire for you to have. John 10.10, I've come so that you can have life and have it abundantly. If you want to have abundant living, stop beating your head against the wall because you're trying to do it out of your own strength. Humble your heart, be obedient, and move forward. And so I... I don't know which one you identify with more closely right now. I don't know if you identify more closely with, I've got these walls down and the enemy's just beating me up. Or if you identify more closely with, I've been trying to do it out of my own strength and might for so long and I'm just beating my head against a wall. I don't know which one you more closely identify with. I know this on the way, on the way up here today. The enemy was absolutely trying to beat me up. He was trying to confuse me with debris. It's add this part to it. Or, or, or say this. Or don't go in this direction. Forget, forget the wall thing. Let's go over here and talk about Peter and do this. It was, there's this debris that he's trying to use, this clutter that he's trying to use. Even, even good stuff he's trying to use to distract. And what he says is, humble your heart, listen, be obedient, and let's move forward. So if the ministry teams would come down front... Am I right in that, Graham? Okay. The ministry teams would, would come down front. And, Tate, are you coming? Come. I think this. The, 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 the vision I got this morning coming off of the Peter thing was this. Peter pre-resurrection, Peter pre-ascension. Peter was a guy who had said this about him when he was sitting around the campfire, and they asked him, Do you, aren't you that guy that's been with Jesus? It says that Peter sat down by the campfire and he allowed them to talk him down. He said, I don't even know that guy. No, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never been around that guy. It says that he sat down in Acts, and you're in Acts Church. 
In Acts, it says this. After the Holy Spirit came and fell upon him, it says Peter stood up and spoke boldly and freely. I know this. I know this. This morning is a stand-up morning for somebody. This morning is a morning where you go from I'm sitting down and I'm going I'm to sit on the periphery to you stand up and you say, I'm marching freely into my destiny. I'm tired of letting the enemy have access. I'm tired of letting him kill, steal, and destroy my dreams and my destiny. I am fully alive and ready to move forward. And so I, I think you're going to fall into one or two categories. Am I going to say, I, I want to, and I think, I think this might be this side. Am I going to say that I'm allowing the enemy to beat me up? I'm allowing the enemy to work me over and have free access because I haven't taken time to deal with the debris and the junk and set up boundaries. I, I think that's this side. And I think this side is I've been trying to do it on my own for so long, and I'm beating my head against a wall, and I just need to, I need to repent of that, and I need to say, Lord, have your way. I need to humbly listen and obey. And I think for some of you it's simply this. There's, there's all this great altar space here in the front. I think some of you just need to say, I need to get on my face and say, Lord, I'm tired. And Lord, I need friends. Fanny Pack friends. John 10.10 friends. Lord, I need them to come and move. So I'm going to pray for us and and Tate's going to play. And um, if you fall into one of those areas, please come forward. And I would say this too. Wouldn't it be awesome talking about community, talking about Acts 2.42. Wouldn't it be awesome if ministry time didn't just happen here, but ministry time broke out here? That you looked around and you saw your fanny pack friends sitting around you and you said, I need you to point that junk out in my life. So I'm going to pray for us. And um, wherever you feel led, I would, I would invite you to move in freedom into that place. So let's pray.